Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would speak to us, that you would renew our minds, that you would help us to grasp the heights of the plans that you have for us as your people. Father, we ask that this morning you would make your word, and especially the preaching of your word, effective in convincing and converting the lost, and building up your church in holiness through faith unto salvation. God, we know that we come to your word expecting you to speak and you to work in us. And so we ask that you would do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Certainly is nice to be back here. This is actually my first time in your new building. The last time I was at Emmaus Road, you're still meeting out in the Girl Scout building on the other side of town. Uh, this week, as I've been preparing to come here, Lexi and I have been talking about our time up at Emmaus Road. It's actually been three years since I have been here, and it's been four years since Lexi has been here. The last Sunday that she was here at Emmaus Road worshiping with all of you, at least all of you that were here four years ago, was on the Sunday that we were sent out from the church here to go down to Oshkosh and plant the church. And it's just an honor to be here and to be able to bring God's word to you this morning, to see so many familiar faces and to see so many new faces and to be reminded that God is doing work in this church. Now I know that assumptions are dangerous things, but I'm going to assume this morning that you are here because you desire to know God. Either you don't know God yet, and you are here because you think that this is a good place to be, to see what the God of Christianity is all about. Or you're here because you do know God, and you desire to know Him more, and to see Him work powerfully in your life and in our world. And I'm here this morning to tell you that you are in the right place for those things. You are in the right place here among God's people as we worship and as God's word is preached and as we pray together. This is the right place to be. There are certain places and there are certain activities where God has promised to meet his people and promised to work in them. In the Reformed Christian tradition, of which the PCA is a part and Emmaus Road is a part, we often speak about these specific places and activities where God promises to meet with and work in his people as the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. And we talk about these things as being the word, the sacraments, which are the Lord's Supper and baptism, and prayer. One of my seminary professors in a class that I took recently compared these things, the ordinary means of grace, to storm chasers seeking after a tornado. Storm chasers wanting to see a tornado. Over the past few weeks in Wisconsin, we've had quite a few big storms, haven't we? I think we had six days, it felt like six days in a row there at the end of July into August where we had severe thunderstorm warnings and tornado warnings almost every day. I think Green Bay had at least one tornado in the last couple of weeks uh, land near there. It's been pretty crazy. But imagine for a second that you are a storm chaser and you really want to see a tornado. Where would you go? 
Now, technically, tornadoes can happen just about anywhere. You could go to Alaska, and maybe you'd see a tornado. You could go down to Florida, and maybe there you'd see a tornado. But if you're smart and you really want to see a tornado, there is a place in North America called Tornado Alley. It's North Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, right? It's these places where tornadoes happen far more frequently than any other place in North America. So if you're wise, you want to see a tornado, you go to one of these places during the summer, and perhaps you'll get lucky enough to see a tornado. Now similarly, God can work in many different places and in many different ways. But there are also certain places where God has promised to be found. Places where we should go if we desire to see him. So if you want to meet with God and you want to see him work in our world, then commit yourself to those ordinary means of grace. Commit yourself to coming to church and hearing God's word preached by Dan and by David. To come and take the Lord's Supper together, to, to witness baptisms, to pray together. These are the places where God has promised to be found. I think that sometimes in the Christian life, we overcomplicate things. We think that we, we need to see the flashy and the fancy and the extraordinary things, that God only works in the big, right, in the miraculous. And sometimes you can ne neglect those ordinary and simple rhythms and habits of the Christian life. So this morning, I want to look at just one of those things. We're going to focus specifically on the preaching of God's word as an ordinary means of grace. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 through 17 today. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me there, Romans 10, 14 through 17. Otherwise, it is printed in your worship guide. So please pay attention this morning to the reading of God's holy word. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. Now I want you to think about your own life for a second. How important is preaching in your own life? Now, maybe I could re rephrase that question a little bit. What difference would it make in your life if you didn't come to church and hear preaching on a regular basis? Because if we're really honest, there are a lot of good books out there, right? There's a nice book table in the back. You could probably ask Dan or Luke, and they'll give you good books. Go read these things. There are good podcasts that you can find online. There are some good websites, a lot of awful websites, but there really are some some helpful websites that will teach you true things about God. You guys have community groups. Is that what you still call them? Community groups and men's groups and women's groups where you can go and discuss God and his word together and we grow in those places. So is preaching really all that necessary? Is what I'm doing right now 
really any major benefit to your soul and to your life. Now, I'm a licensed preacher in the PCA, so you can probably guess how I'm going to answer that question. It's kind of like asking a fitness expert whether they think that working out and dieting is an important thing. They're, they're going to say yes, and if they don't, you should probably question their credentials, right? So of course I believe that preaching is an important thing. But I don't think it's just me. I don't think it's just Dan or David that will tell you that preaching is important. I believe that the Bible tells us that preaching is important. And not only important, but necessary and essential. The big idea for us this morning, I'm going to keep it very simple. You should be able to memorize this. Maybe I'll quiz you after the sermon and service this week. The big idea is that preaching is necessary in the Christian life. Very simple. Preaching is necessary in the Christian life. And we're going to look at three aspects of preaching this morning from Romans chapter 10. We're going to see the necessity of faithful preaching, the necessity of faithful preachers, and the necessity of faithful hearers. So preaching, preachers, and hearers. So let's look together at the first point this morning, the necessity of faithful preaching. And just a warning or disclaimer, this is by far going to be my longest point. So if I get to the end of this first point and you look at your watch and say, oh boy, this is going to go really long, know that the second and third points are a lot, a lot more brief than this first one. So again, the necessity of faithful preaching. Anytime that we're reading the Bible, anytime you're studying it on your own, it's really important to look at the context of any passage. It's going to really help you to understand what's going on. And that's very important here in Romans 10, 14 through 17. The context in the, larger, in, in the book of Romans, in this larger section, starting all the way back in Romans chapter 9 and working up through Romans chapter 11, is Paul dealing with the issue of Israel's unbelief. Why did so many Jews in Jesus' day and in Paul's day reject the gospel? Why did they not turn and why did they not believe? What went wrong? And Paul gives multiple lines of argument through this section of Romans. But starting in Romans 9.30, up through our passage today, Paul argues that the problem wasn't with God. The problem was with Israel misunderstanding the gospel that had been preached to them. They misunderstood. They thought, if you look at Romans 9, 30 through 32, if you have your Bible with you, they thought that they could pursue a righteousness, they could pursue being counted as righteous before God based on their own works. They thought that by their effort, they could be considered righteous before God. But if we've read through any of the rest of Romans, if you've studied on your own life, you know that Righteousness, based on your own self-effort, is impossible. Back in Romans 3, Paul reminds his audience, he says that no one is righteous. No, not one. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A self-made, self-worked righteousness is impossible. But then Paul moves on and he talks about the true way to righteousness. How can we actually be justified and counted as righteous before God? If you're, again, in Romans 10 now, in verse 9, he says, because if you confess with your mouth, with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is through belief. It's through faith in Jesus and his work. It's through calling upon him. These are the very basic pieces of the gospel, right? That salvation doesn't come by our own works. It comes by belief and faith in Jesus and what he has done. And that's the context for the verses we're looking at this morning. And that's really important because what Paul is doing here is he's asking the question and answering the question. So if belief, faith, and calling on Jesus are necessary for salvation, then how does someone actually come to believe? How does someone actually come to call upon Jesus? What does that take? So look with me to verses 14 and 15 as Paul answers that question for us. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Here we see the first reason that faithful preaching is necessary. Preaching is necessary because preaching is a means of salvation. I want you to notice how Paul lays out his argument here. He lays out a chain. You can see that chain because he's repeating words. He says, how will they call unless they believe? And how will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless there's preaching? And how will they be preaching unless people are sent? See that repetition? It, it links these ideas together in a chain. He's laying out a necessary chain, but he's doing it backwards. He's starting with the end result, salvation by calling upon Jesus. And he's working back through the steps to get to that end result. And Paul is arguing that these are necessary steps. How will someone call if they haven't believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And on and on. One of the reasons that I think Lexi and I are a good couple is that I really love cooking and she really loves baking. And there is a difference between cooking and baking. And boy, they go really well together. But one of the differences between cooking and baking is that baking is often much more precise than cooking. If I am making a soup, often what I'll do is I'll read through the recipe one time really quickly, kind of get the basic idea of what's going on, the kind of, you know, the general amounts of the ingredients, and then I'll go and just kind of make it, right? And if I accidentally add two cups of onions instead of one and a half cups of onions, or an extra cup of broth, or I saute the onions with the carrots and the celery instead of just sauteing the onions by themselves, it's really not going to make a big difference to how that soup is going to taste in the end. But baking, on the other hand, you need to measure out your flour just right, and your baking powder just right, and you need to bake that cake at just the right temperature for just the right amount of time. It's, it's all about precision. And I remember one time early in marriage where I tried to prove to Lexi that I could bake in the same way that I cook. So I tried to make cookies the way that I would make soup. I read through the recipe once. I just kind of eyeballed the ingredients, kind of threw them all together, put it on a sheet and put it in the oven at some random temperature and just kind of watched it until it looked right. And you can probably guess how those cookies turned out. Lexi's 
smiling. She, you probably remember those. They were the worst cookies I think I've ever had in my life. They were not good because baking doesn't work like cooking. And I think the lesson here is that there are necessary steps in baking, and you need to be careful that you follow those steps. And that's what Paul is kind of doing here. He's laying out necessary steps. You can't just jump over one of them. You can't kind of blend them if you feel like it and say, ah, this part of it's really not that important. We need to be really careful to pay attention to this chain that he is laying out about how you get to call upon Jesus and be saved. And that's exactly why preaching is a necessary means of salvation. Because it is part of this chain. Because people won't believe if they haven't heard, and they can't hear if the gospel isn't preached. It's necessary. And again, I think that we often want fancier and flashier means for our mission as the church. We want tactics that make sense to our minds and our sensibilities. But really what we should do is we should go to God and we should go to his word and say, God, what are the things that you have told us we should do? How have you told us we should engage in your mission that you have given to us as the church? And one of the essential pieces to our mission is that we must preach. It's not just preach the gospel sometimes, but really do the mission a different way. No, people need to hear. And that's what verse 17 tells us. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But preaching is necessary for a second reason. And this is where I'm going to pull a Dan Breed and I'm going to say, if you've checked out to this point, please hear this. <laughs> this is really important. Preaching is necessary because preaching is where the voice of Jesus is heard. Preaching is where the voice of Jesus is heard. Look again with me to the middle of verse 14. How, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Now, if you have the, your Bible with you, and you're not just reading out of the worship guide, and you have the ESV translation, you'll notice that there's a footnote in verse 14. And I want to encourage you as you're reading through the Bible on your own, as you come across those footnotes, to maybe go down to the bottom of the page and read it. Because the footnotes often give us helpful comments on how we should understand or translate different verses. Now the footnote on verse 14 gives us an alternate translation. And here's what the footnote says. It says, or him whom they have never heard. So the difference is, is it of whom they have never heard or, or whom they have never heard? In preaching, are we hearing about Jesus or are we hearing Jesus? Okay, do you see the difference there? Now, I don't have the time to get into the Greek and make my case for why I think the second translation is better, but I do think it is better. That we, in preaching, we are not just hearing about Jesus, though we certainly are, but we are hearing Jesus himself. And I just want to just briefly look at two other verses in the New Testament that I think reinforce that this is what this verse is talking about and tell us a little bit more about what this looks like. The first is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 16. You don't have to turn there. But this is what 
Jesus himself says to his disciples that he is sending out, okay? He sends out his disciples and he says to them, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. But that first phrase is really important. The one who hears you hears me. That's what Jesus said. And second, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then pay attention to this. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus here is talking about the Gentiles being brought into the flock of the people of God. Now here's a Bible trivia question for you. Where in the New Testament do we start seeing a large number of Gentiles being brought into the church? Maybe, maybe give me a book of the New Testament. Anybody? Acts. Okay, there you go. Yes. Acts. All right. Now, do those things happen? The Gentiles being brought into the church in a, in, a, in a large number, does that happen before or after Jesus ascended up into heaven? After. Okay. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the Gentiles that are going to be brought into this flock, they're going to listen to my voice, but they're going to do so after I've already ascended up into heaven. So what's going on here? Jesus is saying that as people hear the gospel, as they hear it preached to them, as they come to believe, they don't just believe because they heard the voice of the preacher, but because they heard the voice of their shepherd calling to them. I want you to think about your own testimony if you're a Christian. I want you to think back for a moment about the time that you heard the gospel and it made sense to you. You recognized your need for Jesus and you believed upon him. Think back to that. What was happening in that moment is not just that you heard that person talking with you. You heard Jesus. That is beautiful. That is incredible. You heard your shepherd. And this may seem really strange to us, right? How does this all work? And I can't lay out the mechanisms for exactly what it looks like, that we are really hearing Jesus when we hear the gospel preached. But I want you to think for just a moment what we pray before sermons. Do we pray, or do you guys normally pray, God, help us to hear Dan's voice this morning. God, really help me to hear David this morning. No. What do you pray? In fact, what did we sing right before this sermon? We sang, speak who? Speak, O oh Lord. We come to God's word because we want to hear him. You don't come to church to hear Dan, as good as his sermons are. You don't come to hear me, although you probably didn't know I was preaching this Sunday. <laughs> you come because you need to hear God. You need to hear your shepherd. And this is just a call for you to take preaching seriously. This is important Come expecting to hear from Jesus. So in this passage, we first see the necessity of faithful preaching. 
And then secondly, we see the necessity of faithful preachers. And this is where Paul's logical chain that he lays out in verses 14 and 15 take us. He writes, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So what we need are sent ones. And this sending, it implies people whose specific calling it is to be preachers of the gospel. And this is why I think this passage should first be applied to pastors and to preachers, those who have been called and commissioned specifically to handle God's word and to proclaim it to the people of God. They are people who are sent. And this was a reality throughout the history of God's people. Back in the Old Testament, there were prophets who were called to be the mouthpieces of God. In the New Testament, you had the apostles, and then falling out of the apostles, you had teachers and pastors who were called to preach God's word and to teach it. Not necessarily to get new revelation like the prophets did sometimes in the Old Testament, but to faithfully handle the revelation that God has given us in his word. And there's a specific kind of authority that people who are called to preach God's word have when they declare God's word. You should listen to Dan when he preaches God's word to you because he has been commissioned by God to handle God's word and to deliver it to you so that you can understand it and so that it will affect your heart and your life. Pay attention to his words. And that's exactly why we should do what Dan mentioned during the, uh, during the announcements. We should desire to see people raised up and sent out to preach God's word all over the place. You guys, as a church, have done an incredible job in this. You guys have raised up church planters. You sent out Josh Golaxon. You have influenced and poured into so many people. You've, you poured into me in the two years that I was a member at this church. When I was beginning seminary, You've poured into other seminarians and, and people who are considering a call to ministry. You guys have been a leading church in the On Wisconsin Network, which is raising up pastors all around the state. Dan said, over 30 right now, people that are being trained up to go out and to proclaim God's word. We should desire to be a part of seeing sent ones go to preach. And you guys are doing that, and I want that to be an encouragement to you. And I just want to say, keep doing what you're, what you're doing. Keep valuing that aspect of your ministry as a church. But there's a way that this passage doesn't just speak to those who are ordained or licensed. It speaks also to all church members, right? In the Living Stone passage, the passage that we named our church after in Oshkosh, in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, But you, the church, the whole of the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if God has called you out of darkness and called you into his light, then you are also called to proclaim his excellencies wherever God might take you and in every opportunity that he gives you. I love Paul's quotation from Isaiah at the end of verse 15 talking about this. Paul writes, 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are, are what? The feet? Wait, feet aren't generally beautiful, are they? This is a really odd phrase. This summer, Lexi and I were hiking in the Appalachian Mountains. We did a, a small section of the Appalachian Trail down in Virginia. We love backpacking. And while we were out there, we were, we were at the shelter that we were going to stay at that night, and another hiker walked up. He was a very interesting guy. He was wearing this multicolored wizard's hat and so many things that were very interesting about this man. But the thing that stood out to me right away is that he walked in, and he was not wearing hiking boots. If you've, ever, if you've ever done any long hikes, you know hiking boots are a pretty essential piece of your equipment. He walked in with these flimsy-looking, thin-soled sandals, and he had just hiked probably a 15-mile day up the side of this mountain, over rocks, through mud, in sandals. And I noticed his feet more than I think Lexi noticed his feet. And I'm not going to say a whole lot or go into minute descriptions about his toenails and things like that. But let's just say that he would not make a good foot model, right? Now, what, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about messengers and gospel preachers. They would travel widely in that day. They would go all over the place, and they would often do all of this walking wearing sandals. But yet, Paul, quoting Isaiah, calls the feet of these messengers beautiful, why? Well, obviously not because they were physically beautiful or something special to look at. He called their feet beautiful because they carried a beautiful message. Imagine with me for just a second that there is a car enthusiast who is dying of thirst out in the desert. I have no idea why a car enthusiast would be dying of thirst in the desert, but just go with me for a second, okay? He's out in the desert, he's crawling along, he's on his last leg, dying of thirst, and he comes up to a road. Again, I don't know why there's a road in the desert. Again, go with me here. He goes up to this road, and two cars are just happening to drive by at the same time. One is a brand new Ferrari. The other is a 1990 town and country, uh, Chrysler town and country minivan. It's rusty, it's faded, right? There's this weird rattling sound as it drives up. But he, he doesn't care. He's thirsty. He, he crawls out of the road. He stops the cars. And he goes up to the drivers and he pleads with them. He says, do you have any water for me? And the driver of the Ferrari says, have you looked in here? There is no space up here in this tiny little sports car. So he goes over to the old rusty minivan. He talks to the driver. He says, do you have any water for me? I'm dying. And the guy says, yeah, I think I got like a big pile of water bottles sitting in the back of this thing somewhere. Let me go dig around and see if I can find them for you. Now, in that moment, which of those vehicles was more beautiful to that car enthusiast? It's not the Ferrari. It's that old, rusty, 1990 Chrysler town and country. And it was beautiful because it was the vehicle that carried water to a thirsty man. I want to call you, Emmaus Road, to be a church full of beautiful-footed people. 
And not beautiful footed because you have beautiful looking feet, but beautiful footed because you carry a necessary message to a thirsty world that needs to hear what you have to bring. Probably never something you'd think you'd hear in a sermon, right? Be beautiful footed people. Thought about titling this sermon Foot Models for Christ, but I thought that would have been a little irreverent (laughs) or weird. But you get the idea. Are your feet beautiful? Are you a herald of the message of Jesus Christ? So we've seen the necessity of faithful preaching, the necessity of faithful preachers, and then lastly we'll see the necessity of faithful hearers. And this is where the context is very important. Remember what I said about Paul dealing with the issue of so many Israelites not being saved. And Paul actually lays out the chain that he laid out in verses 14 and 15, partially to highlight what went wrong for those Israelites. He answers the question of what, what, where, where did the chain break for them? Was it that there weren't people sent to preach to them? No, there were people who were sent to preach to them. So did those preachers just not preach? No, they did preach. So did the Israelites just not hear that preaching? No, they heard the preaching. So where is the issue here? The issue is that even though they heard, they didn't believe. That's the part of that chain that had broken for them. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The issue was believing even though they had heard. So I need to say to you that even as faithful preachers are necessary, even as faithful preaching is necessary, that we need faithful, and by that I mean faith-filled hearers of the gospel. You should expect that on any given Sunday when Dan stands up before you and he preaches your word, that he has spent serious time in God's word that week. You should expect that he has read through that passage multiple times, that he has prayed through it, that he's studied it in the original language, that he's done word studies and read commentaries and Bible dictionaries and all of these things so that he knows when he stands before you and delivers God's word that he is delivering it faithfully. You should expect that of your preachers, right? But there is also a responsibility that lies on you as the hearers of sermons that sometimes isn't as emphasized but is just as important. I love what question 90 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about this. The question is, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? Notice right away that it includes the category of hearing here. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? And the answer is, that the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and with love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. We need to pay attention to how we hear God's word when it is preached to us. We need to be diligent as well. 
we need to prepare ourselves as well. We need to receive what is preached to us with faith and with love. We need to lay it up in our hearts. We need to make sure that we're practicing the things that we hear in our lives. And I just have a couple ideas for you. This is by no means exhaustive of some ideas for how to really practice this. The first is pretty simple. Find out what the sermon is going to be on the next Sunday. If you guys are going through a book of the Bible, are you still going through James? Or did you just finish? Just finished. Where are you guys going next? You guys are going through Ezra. Okay, so as you walk through the book of Ezra, you will know what the next passage is going to be for that next Sunday. So maybe during the week, read through that passage a couple times. Maybe study through that passage on your own. It'll help prepare you to hear it that next Sunday. Maybe on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you could spend time praying for whoever is preaching to you and pray to God for a receptive heart to hear God's word preached. And maybe when you hear a sermon, you could write down, you don't have to take piles of notes, maybe write down one or two specific applications from that sermon so that when you get home from church, you can look at that. Maybe on Monday morning, you can look at that and you can say, how can I apply even one simple thing that I heard from God's word yesterday? How can I apply that in my life this week? These are simple ways to be good hearers of the preaching of God's word. But ultimately, to be a faithful hearer is to be a faith-filled hearer. It's possible to come to, che- come to church week in and week out to hear the gospel preached every week, but to have never actually believed in what is preached to you, to never have responded actively to God's word. So I want to call everybody here to hear the good news of the gospel and to respond with faith. Belief in this passage is specifically belief in Christ. It's not just this weird, vague belief Like, you got to have faith or something like that. Or you just believe in yourself, right? No, this is belief in Christ. One theologian that I really love, Louis Burkhoff, he helpfully defines this type of belief as an absolute transference of trust from ourselves to another, a complete self-surrender to God. Because of our sin, none of us can make ourselves right with God. The pursuit of self-justification is as exhausting as it is futile. It will not work. But in Jesus, and actually from Jesus, we have good news that is proclaimed to us. That we can be justified That we can be counted as righteous and perfect in the sight of God, not because of our works and not because of our efforts, but through the perfect work of Jesus, through his perfect obedience in our place, through his death on the cross, bearing the weight of our sin, the punishment that we deserved for our own disobedience, that we can look to him and in faith we can transfer our trust from ourselves and our own efforts when we hear the gospel and transfer that trust to Jesus to say that he is able to save and he is the source of salvation. So hear Jesus in the preaching of his word and believe in him. Come to the voice of your shepherd who is calling and be a faith-filled hearer of the preaching of the gospel. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent. That you have not left us to wander about in this world and try to simply find you by our own efforts or our own intellect. But you have spoken. You have spoken in your word. And for that, God, we praise you. And you continue to speak as your word is preached. Father, we ask that you would do the miraculous work in the people who hear your word, whether it's people here today or the people that we talk with in our workplaces and our neighbors, those who hear the gospel, that you would do the miraculous work of opening up their ears and their hearts so that they would hear the voice of their shepherd calling and that they would believe. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.